0: Church's children of the promise, let's open up God's Word together and let's look at His promises to His people. Let's look at Exodus chapter 19. We'll be in Exodus 19 uh, this morning. We return to this portion of God's Word. We return to this story last Sunday after some time away from it. But in the story of Exodus, in the book of Exodus, uh, we, we see the character of our God. Uh, we see the character of the one that we gather week after week to worship the one who is Lord, who is Lord of our lives. We see His holiness. We see His mercy. Uh, we see His goodness and His grace. And we see His might and His majesty. And so at this portion of the story, what has happened, quick review, real quick review, God has uh, heard the cries of His people for help and He has remembered the promise that He has made uh, to their ancestors. He remembers the promise that He has made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and He has come to their rescue. He has uh, come down and he has delivered them through his servant Moses from slavery under Pharaoh in a foreign land, the land of Egypt. And so God has led his people out through a series of plagues and deliverance. And he has led them uh, through the waters of the Red Sea and into the wilderness, into the desert, the desert of Sinai. And so some weeks have passed, about seven weeks have passed since God has rescued his people from slavery Uh, And he has led them to the mountain of Sinai, the mountain of Sinai. I think perhaps we have a picture of uh, the mountain of Sinai or what is believed to be Mount Sinai. There's some debate, as mentioned last week, as to exactly where this place is. But the traditional site of Mount Sinai is this mountain in the southern part of the Sinai Peninsula. Uh, This mountain also uh, described as the mountain of God or uh, Mount Horab. And so what has happened is, is God has has just met with Moses on top of this mountain, on top of Mount Sinai, and essentially in the first few verses of Exodus 19, to which uh, uh, in which we we read and looked at last week, God has said to Moses, "Go now." Uh, And remind the Israelites, go remind these people what I have done for them. How I rescued them from the Egyptians and how I brought them out of that place here to this place before me. Go tell them, Moses, that they are to obey me fully. Uh, And they are to live in relationship with me, to live for me. And as they do, God says, they will be my treasured possession And they will be my witnesses to the rest of the world. And so God, what is happening here is God is setting his people apart. He's setting them apart as his people, as distinct from those around them. He's setting them apart from the nations around them in order to show the nations around them uh, that there is no God like him. There's no God like Yahweh see, this God, who is also our God, the God of Scripture, the only true God, He stands apart and above, He is holy. But before the Israelites can be a kingdom of priests, in other words, before they can be uh, His witnesses to the rest of the world, they need to know Him, they need to know this God. And so God has brought them to this place, to the mountain of Sinai, to meet with them. He's already rescued them. And now he's going to show them who he is and how they can live in relationship with him. And so let's look at God's word and let's see how this story unfolds. So as you find your place there in Exodus 19, um, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's holy word. Exodus 19, I'll read verses 7 through 25. So a bit of a lengthy text this morning. Verse 7, so Moses went back. And summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything, the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the people what the Lord, what, uh, told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. Verse 14. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. And Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of the mountain and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Verse 23, Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Let's bow together. Father, would you guide us now? Instruct us by the presence and power of your spirit in accordance with your word, for the glory of your name. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I, I grew up in a home with an upstairs, and I remember way back in the day of uh, telephone landlines, Uh, And answering the home phones, I know you perhaps remember those days, and then yelling at times upstairs or downstairs as a child or a teenager uh, for my mom or dad, telling them that hey, the, the phone is for you, can you pick up the phone? And I even remember on a few occasions... Uh, Not knowing where they are in the house and actually running upstairs, running downstairs, looking for mom or dad to tell them to answer the phone. In fact, I even remember going to a friend's house at some point during my childhood and seeing that they had this uh, incredible uh, intercom system in the house where you could speak to just about anyone in the house or to any room in the house uh, through this speaker system in the wall. Uh, Well, with Moses, as you may have noticed, uh, God isn't using the intercom system. Moses climbs up the mountain to meet with God, and then what does he do? He goes back down the mountain to tell the people what God has said. And then he turns back around and he goes back up the mountain, back up Mount Sinai uh, to tell God what the people said, then back down the mountain to tell the people what God had said. In fact, there's even one place in there. I can't remember. Maybe verse 21, essentially. uh, The Lord comes down. Moses goes up. As soon as he gets up, what does God say? Go down and tell the people this. If only Moses had a Fitbit to track all of those steps, right? See, the Lord is teaching his people here that they need a mediator to bridge the gulf between God and us. God God is teaching his people. He's teaching us through his word. We need a mediator to bridge the gulf between God and us. This is not some minor gap. This is a great gulf. We need a mediator, a go-between, an intermediary, a moderator to bridge the gulf between God and us. So Mount Sinai, in the history of God's Plans and working with his people became a meeting place between God and his people, but it wasn't a casual meeting. Because ever since the fall of Adam, there's been a vast gulf of separation, right, between God and people. We were created in his image, given dominion over the rest of creation, the rest of his creatures. We were called to live in obedience to him, yet we were sinners, our ancestors were sinners, the first people were sinners, and so have every uh, man, woman, including us, ever since, with the exception of one, sinners who have constantly rebelled against Him. But praise God, He is merciful. God is a God, as we saw last week, who rescues. God rescues. And so that is what has happened here. God is heard the cries of his people, and he's come to deliver his people. He's come to rescue the Israelites, not because of anything in them, not because of any good works in them, not because of any righteousness in them, not because of any uh, good character in them, but simply because of his mercy. So God has stooped down. He has come down to save. Friends, God's mercy moves his people to respond with obedience. We see that right here in the story. God's mercy moves His people to respond with obedience. He has rescued the Israelites, and now He's inviting these people, He's inviting these descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob uh, to enter into a special relationship, a covenant relationship with Him. And so He tells them that. He says, this is what I've done for you in verses 1 through 6 of this chapter. I've I've rescued you. you. You saw what I did to the Egyptians, and now... I'm asking you, I'm telling you to obey me fully and you're going to be my treasured possession. You're going to be my people, my kingdom of priests, a holy nation throughout the whole earth. And so verse 7, Moses goes back and he summons the elders, the leaders of the people, and he tells them what God has said. Verse 8, the people all respond together, we'll do it. We will do everything the Lord has said, we will do everything this God has said. We will do everything Yahweh, the God of our ancestors, has said. You see, before the rescued Israelites even receive God's law, before they receive all the particulars of what they're commanded to do, the don't do this and the do this, they say, we'll do whatever you say. Because their hearts have been stirred by God's mercy, and they are ready to obey. Friend, has your heart been stirred by God's mercy? Have you felt the kindness of God poured out on Calvary's cross and said to the Lord, I will do everything you have said. In fact, every time we open the word, church, every time we open the Bible, we ought to come as sinners saved by God's grace saying, Lord, teach me today what it means to live for you. Correct me where I'm wrong. Confront me in my sin. Lord, teach me today what it means to live for you. I will do whatever you have said, not in an effort to earn his favor, but because we have been shown his favor. Friends, God's mercy moves his people to respond with obedience, and he is worthy of obedience because of who he is. He is the God who stoops down to save, but he is still God. He is still the one who reigns on high. Perhaps some of you have seen the 2003 Christmas film Elf uh, with Buddy the Elf played by Will Farrell. And in this particular film, Buddy the Elf um, somehow ends up at the North Pole and is raised by elves and later discovers that he's human. And so he sets out on this journey to find his, his parents, his father, It's human father. And so he comes to earth and Santa directs him along the way and he lands in uh, New York City looking for his father who works for uh, this uh, major uh, children's publishing uh, book company uh, in the Empire State Building in New York City. And so Buddy shows up one day uh, not being raised by humans. He knows nothing about social uh, cues with humans and he barges in on one of the most important meetings of his father's career. His father's trying to land this big... Business deal, and, and Buddy just barges in, ready to tell his father uh, that he's met the love of his life, and he uh, disrupts this, this deal for his father and uh, nearly uh, destroys any chance that he has to begin a relationship with his father. No uh, regard for social cues, he just barges right in. And the same, friends, is true for the relationship between God and us. We cannot simply barge into God's presence, God's holiness precludes sinners from barging into His presence. Yes, God is merciful and His His mercy should move. us, ought to move His people, the people who've experienced His mercy, to respond with obedience. But His holiness precludes us, precludes sinners from barging into His presence. And that's what we see taking place here in Exodus 19 at Mount Sinai. To say that God is holy is to say that He is altogether separate from us. You see, just as the ground there at uh, Mount Sinai near the burning bush was holy ground because the holy God was there, so the mountain of Sinai now has become holy ground because God Almighty is there. Because God is a holy God and a just God, He will not tolerate sin in His presence. And so God tells Moses, verse 12, put limits for the people around the mountain. Tell them, be careful, Don't, don't come any closer than this. Don't pass this boundary. Don't approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Verse 21, he says it again. And the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. And then a third time in verse 24, the Lord replies to Moses, Go down and bring Aaron up with you, but the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So three times in this text, the Lord says to Moses, tell the people to keep their distance. For sinners cannot barge into my presence. So God comes down to meet with his people. But this is not a casual meeting of equals. In fact, we have an image uh, displaying perhaps what this uh, may have looked like or at least Uh, an artist rendering of this image and you can see in the image here the people uh, down at the foot of the mountain separated from the base of the mountain with a barrier limits that have been put up around the mountain if you look real closely you can see a man up on the mountain that's moses going up to meet with god and and the fire coming down god's presence coming down uh, a dense cloud of smoke covering the mountain lightning in the in the sky, and the people have this uh, balance, perhaps, of, of reverence and awe and fear of the Lord with a desire to be near the Lord. So some are leaning in close. Others are cowering back in in fear. You know, church, perhaps we have forgotten what a privilege and what an honor it is to come before the King of all kings. To come before the presence of the Most High God, the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. One author has said, we come to church the way we would drop by someone's living room rather than the way we would enter the throne room of a king. And no doubt, perhaps the temptation is even more so to do so with virtual church options from home now. Church, since God is holy and transcendent, we cannot approach God flippantly. We must be a people who prepare for worship, prepare for worship, prepare to to meet with the Lord. So God is teaching his people here what it means to be his people and what it means to worship him and to know him as their God. In essence, he tells Moses, go get the people ready, consecrate them, set them apart so that they will be ready to hear from me. And so what are they to do? Three things here we see. First, they're to wash their clothes, verse 11. Wash their clothes, meaning put on their, their Sabbath best. In the Bible, clothes often symbolize one's inward spiritual condition. And here the point is that the Israelites need cleansing from sin before entering the presence of the holy God. And second, we're told in verse 15 that to refrain from marital relations uh, as a temporary form of fasting in order to give their undivided attention to God as they anticipate hearing from Him. We see a similar pr- principle uh, portrayed in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 5. And then third, Moses is to put limits around the mountain, put limits around the mountain and instruct the people not to cross that boundary. The people are to prepare to meet with the Lord. And Moses, their mediator, was to instruct them in how to do so, making sure that they were pure, that they were set apart, that they were holy, so that they could then meet with the Lord God Almighty. I think Alan Ross is helpful here. He writes, he says, These instructions began to teach worshipers about the great privilege and the grave danger of coming into the presence of the Holy God of glory. They were to draw near to Him, but they were not to come too close. He was their Redeemer, but He was also God Almighty. Friend, do you know God Almighty? Do you know what kind of privilege that we have to come into His presence in order to worship and hear from Him? Brothers and sisters, may we stand in awe of God's holiness. May we be a people who, yes, are saved by His grace, who have experienced His mercy, but who continually stand in awe of His holiness. We tend to use awesome uh, rather flippantly as a word for just about anything that we like. Like we, we might say uh, something like, hey, did you see uh, the shortstop catch that line drive at the ballpark yesterday? That was awesome. Or it might be getting close to lunchtime, not yet, but later on today. And you might say, hey, honey, what, what do you want for lunch today? And uh, you respond or she responds, he responds and say, you know what? How about one of those steaks from Longhorn? Uh, their eight-ounce filet is awesome. but We talk like this, right? All the time. We, we use this kind of language, but perhaps there are some words, and maybe this is one of them, that is better saved for God and God alone. Our God is an awesome God. Remember that chorus? He, he reigns from heaven above with wisdom and power and love. Our God is an awesome God. Of course, our understanding of God and our worship of God in the church today doesn't look like it did here for the Israelites in Exodus 19. We gather as His people and we come into His presence with confidence. But we best do it with reverence because the character of our God has not and will not change. But praise God, church. We can praise God this morning. Praise God that we don't come through Moses to meet the Lord at Sinai we come through Jesus to meet the Lord wherever his people gather anticipating a a future gathering in his glorious presence with thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly the author of Hebrews says we come to God through Jesus his son becoming his people and joining his kingdom Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28 therefore since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken let us be thankful And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In other words, church, even though we have a better mediator, a permanent priest, a perfect sacrifice allowing us to boldly enter the presence of God by the blood of Jesus, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, we're still called to prepare for worship and to stand in awe of the King. Sinners need a mediator to bridge the gulf between God and us. And praise God, we have a mediator who is better than Moses. A savior and a king sent to fulfill the law that was given through Moses and a Messiah to provide complete cleansing and full forgiveness for those who turn to him in faith. God's mercy moves his people to respond with obedience. God's holiness precludes sinners from barging into his presence. And finally, God's Messiah provides permanent atonement for our sins. God's Messiah provides permanent atonement for our sins. In Exodus 19, Moses ascends the mountain of the Lord and God descends upon it in fire covered with smoke. Uh, demonstrating before the people that they need a mediator and that Moses is that mediator. But fast forward some 1,500 years or so, some sometime later, Peter, James, and John ascended a mountain, another mountain, with Jesus. They went up on a mountain with Jesus, and there on the mountain, Jesus, the Bible says, was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, symbolizing His purity, His holiness, royalty. And two other Old Testament prophets, the Bible says, Moses being one of them, Moses and Elijah appear there with Jesus, and they begin conversing with Jesus. They're talking with Jesus. Perhaps you remember this story, and knowing that each of these are mighty men sent from God, Peter says, hey, let's build each one of these guys a shelter. Let us build them a house. Let's build a monument for each of these guys. In Mark chapter 9, verse 7, then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud and said, this is my son whom I love, listen to Him. Next verse, suddenly when they looked around, no one else is there, just Jesus. So God is proclaiming from the cloud, my son is greater than Moses. God is saying He is the promised one. He is the Messiah. God is saying, listen to Jesus, the Messiah. Listen to Jesus, the Messiah. God is saying, one greater than Moses has come to save you from your sins so that you might be my people, my treasured possession, my holy nation. Set apart to know me and to make me known. Listen to Jesus the Messiah, the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to God. No one comes into the presence of God. No one is restored into right relationship with God. No one is reconciled to God except through Jesus the Son. Friend, did you know that the only way into the presence of God... That the only way for sinners like you and like me to receive access to the Almighty and Holy God is through the blood of Jesus that is shed for you. So friend, receive the blood of Jesus shed for you. Receive the blood of Jesus shed for you. Shed for me. The preparations at Mount Sinai were incomplete. They were necessary, but they were inadequate. Because they were temporary in order to teach that though God is full of mercy, sin separates. And as long as sin separates, we cannot enter into the presence of the Lord. But for those who turn to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, there is complete cleansing from sin. There is forgiveness forever. There is the removal of guilt before God now and forever. Christians, we have been made holy, the Bible says. God says to Moses, go set the people apart. Consecrate them so that they will be holy. Uh, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Friend, have you been made holy? Have you been cleansed? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you washed in the blood? That's what we used to sing. Are you washed in the blood? In the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Not because you have done anything to make them clean, not because you have washed them yourselves, but because through Jesus' Son, God has washed you and made you pure and holy and set you apart, given you His righteousness. Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? See, if you've turned from sin and trusted in Jesus, then your sins are forgiven forever. And one day, one day soon, This same Jesus, who now reigns in majesty on high, is going to come back. He's going to come back for you. He's going to come back for me. He's going to take us and all who have turned to Him in faith, He's going to take us to be with Him in His presence without the barrier and separation of sin, with Him in His presence forever and ever and ever. John states it this way as he sees a vision in Revelation chapter 21. He says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. It's in their midst. He's with them and He will dwell with them. they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them. And be there, God. What a glorious promise. What a gracious provision. What a day for God's people to anticipate. Father, help us to do so. Help us to live longing for you. Father, we thank you for rescuing us. By your mercy, not because of anything in us, not because of any good character or nature or obedience from us, Lord. In fact, quite the opposite. We were sinners who who ran from you, who rebelled against you. And even so, in your mercy and through your plan, you chased after us and rescued us. Through the provision of your Son, our Savior. And Father, through Jesus, you have cleansed us. You've restored us. Would you call us your own? And so, Lord, may we as your people today, may we live as yours. May we draw near to you. May we run after you. May we rest in what you have done for us and find joy even in hardship here because of your ongoing, never-ending love for us. Father, help us to believe your promises. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and faith to believe. And, Father, may you stir our hearts to sing your praise. Father, may we turn to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.